I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In our show, we align what it feels like happened on the Super Netball Court. We had the final round of Home and Away this, this round to what the stats, which of course are the real, tell us. Real versus Feel is supported by All-in-One Property, a dedicated property service provider. When buying a home, you often have to juggle conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, and it can be overwhelming. That's where All-in-One Property comes in handling it all. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the lands of the Jajatawarung people in Bendigo, and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, Aaron, every time I sit down to write this intro, I feel like I say, no one predicted this results when we're looking back on the rounds, but I'm pretty sure that really does apply this round. The Pies beat the Fever, the Thunderbirds got over the Swifts, and then the Giants managed to knock off the Vixens. So I definitely count those three. But let's get into it. I'm going to take the exciting one from you because I know that you love when I when I do that. I'm going to look at the Thunderbirds win over the Swifts. So it was 60 to 57. Now, I think you know what I'm going to say, Aaron. What's the first two words I'm going to say about this game? Is Something about a defender. <laughs> MVP, Latanya Wilson. <laughs> she was the top... Uh, Nissan net point scorer in the first and second quarters, playing wing defense and goalkeeper. She finished with 110.5 net points. She's the only defender to win the MVP this round. And yes, we are going to be talking about her later in the show. Um, the rest of the statistics, Swifts had an 80% gain to goal rate, whereas the Thunderbirds had only 55, the bad old days. Sarah Clough, made sure that everyone understood why she was in the diamonds. She had eight games and 10 deflections. The Thunderbirds had 20 games, most of any, the most of any team this round. Now you're going to look at Collingwood Fever for us, please, Aaron. I mean, you've been getting the upsets in the I know. In the last few podcasts. So, I mean, it's, it's good that you gave me this one. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I agree with you. I don't think if someone claimed to you they thought the Magpies were going to be the fever, like they were lying. Because <laughs> even the last time the Pies defeated the fever was in round 12 of 2019. So if it feels like a long time between drinks, yes. uh, it was. That's a long time ago. Um, and, you know, there was some key stats that probably led to this win for the Magpies that's they haven't really done that well this season. So mm -hmm. they led the time in possession, 52% to the Fever's 48%. Uh, the Magpies had 16 general play turnovers, which if you're listening to us in recent weeks, we've mm -hmm. talked about how they are one of the highest average turnover teams. And this 16 is well below what they uh, normally do. Mm. And the gain to goal rate by the Fever that's something we've spoken about them across the season from pre-season through the season that they have really improved on. It was at 44% in this match. So not converting those gains 
to you know the, at the same rate that they have been and improving upon in recent weeks mm-hmm. and you know that's probably one of the key reasons that they lost this match um some interesting stats for the magpies defenders even in a win uh like jiva mentor 18 penalties and zero gains probably not the way she wanted to finish yep. her career at the magpies but on the other side of things uh jody ann ward five deflections four gains including two intercepts um had a really big defensive game for them uh now perhaps one of the only um not surprising results two that script. you're going to cover? The, yeah, the two script one. Yeah, the Lightning <laughs> versus the Firebirds. Yeah, well, the Sunshine Coast Lightning had a six-goal win over the Firebirds on their home court. I, th- I just mentioned then about Sarah Clow. I think Cara Conan decided to let people know why she was in the Diamonds team as well. She had 46 from 50 and an intercept. Um Donnell Wallum didn't have her best night. She ended in the negatives of the Nissan net points. Um, in what is pretty painful, I imagine, for Firebirds fans, they led by 10 goals at one point in the third quarter. So a turnaround that they won't, you know, obviously won't be happy with. Um, and also the Firebirds' total scoring accuracy uh, in this game was 70%, which is well below where you need to be in Super Netball. Uh, and now you're going to look at the – what is it about the Giants and the Vixens and games at the end of the season in finals? I know we love to build up the Swifts versus the Giants as this big rivalry, but I tell you what, the Giants and the Vixens are coming for that title, I think. Mm. The Giants have a few kind of big true. rivalry performances. <laughs> Against the Fever, they true. seem to pick things up as well. So true. They just need to do it against the rest of the competition, uh, I think. Uh, now, I'm not going to detail this one too much because it is going to be our first deep dive mm-hmm. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but some key stats that we'll probably refer back to in that analysis. The Vixens had 16 games, which is usually a pretty indicative metric of them winning a match. Sure but they obviously lost this one, 60 to 57. The Giants aren't typically a high gain side, but they actually had 14 of their own. So taking the ball away from the Vixens as well, which is something the Vixens normally do quite well in protecting the ball. Mm. Uh, Maybe an unsurprising stat from the Giants' perspective in this one, they made 10 super shots, the most out of any side in the round. Um, And the Vixens being heavily penalised was another big differential in the team stats for this one, 72 to the Giants, 47. And as far as individual performances go, Maddie Hay was, uh, you know, one of the better players on court, mm-hmm. had the most goal assists for the Giants as well as two intercepts. So doing it on the attacking and defensive end of the court. Mm. But Aaron, I'll pass back to you to maybe just introduce us talking about this game some more. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I like to think of really clever names for each of our subjects and our sections. And this week, this one is not clever. It's called How Did the Vixens Lose? How did this happen in this round? I think, you know, you ran off a couple of the stats there, but you would imagine with 16 games, you had Liz Watson leading the fees, had her with some time in the centre. Akira Austin was leading the centre pass receives. Good accuracy on goal. What happened? Aside from that huge penalty count that you just touched on, 72, how do they manage, how does this game actually get lost to the Giants? Yeah, there's a couple of key things within this match that are some uh, 
maybe some people would be excited about hearing statistics wise some others not mm-hmm. so exciting i know we're going to mention that dreaded um word later on in this segment that you're not a huge fan of uh, <laughs> but there's a really interesting statistical anomaly within this match and it okay. relates to the feeds and shooting attempts where the vixens led the circle feeds 88 to 77 yep and they also led the feeds with attempts uh 57 to 50 mm-hmm. right but then you look at the goal attempts and they're actually 65 to 61 in the giants favor and so they're getting less feeds less feeds with attempts but more goal attempts and your immediate answer to this might be well they probably just took a lot of shots and rebounded them mm-hmm. but the missed shot conversion was actually only 20 percent for the giants which is really poor so they weren't rebounding their shots to get more attempts and so the question it took me a little while to to think about this was where the giants were getting all of these shot attempts from and my reasoning here is likely that huge differential in the penalty count 72 to 47 a lot of them were probably happening inside the shooting circle generating shot attempts for the giants so there was a bit of talk on the weekend about how good joe harton was at generating those or, or drawing those penalties and that's what was happening. The Giants didn't need those circle feeds because the Vixens were almost handing the ball to them for those goal attempts, right? It's yeah. such an it's, It was a really ob- interesting stat. Yeah, it's such a fascinating observation because it does very much feed back into the feel that you had watching that game. When the ball's coming in, Harton's trying to find a way to get a penalty, right? She's turning her body. She's making sure, that, you know, she even does this kind of thing where she shows the umpire the her body so that, you know, she can see the angles and things like that. But that actually makes a huge amount of sense when you look at how heavily penalised the um, circle defenders were for the Vixens and pretty uncharacteristically so, I imagine, for that game. But it is one of those tactics, I think, that probably – you know, it, it 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 sort of is quite frustrating as a defender to know that you're missing out on those opportunities as well. Yeah, sorry, I I interrupted you there. You had another point to make. Sorry. Ah, uh, no, no. I know. I was about to say you, you probably know about this yourself as a defender. Yeah, a little. <laughs> uh, and now another interesting stat from this was the goals from the different parts of the game. So okay. when we talk about goals here, that is the ball going through the net. It's not that points, that okay. scoreboard impact that we're talking about. Okay. Now, and again, this is another kind of interesting niche thing that doesn't happen too often. So the Giants led the goals from center pass 35 to 34, mm-hmm. but the Vixens led the goals from gains 12 to 8, mm-hmm. and the Vixens also led the goals from turnovers 8 to 7. Mm-hmm. So the total here for goals coming from the various aspects of the game that they record them from. I feel like I the know Vixens, what you're going to say. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. The Vixens <laughs> led this 54 to 50. And yep. so you ask yourself again, how did the Giants score more? Um, and it's yours and other people's favourite part of the game, the super shots, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The standard scoring, the Vixens led this match 51 to 40. But the Giants led the super shot scoring 20 to 6. And so that's where the scoreboard difference is. And I, I guess this links in with your topic here about how did the Vixens lose? Because in a lot of key statistics, they led, but there are a couple of these uh, other statistical aspects that they 
didn't lead in, didn't do so mm. well in, and that was really the difference mm. that I could see in this game. Yeah, absolutely. This is. I think we're going to have to revisit this kind of idea because it's interesting to see how all of they kind of interact with each other um, and also, I guess, to the debate and discussion that goes around, do they rely on super shots? Do they not rely on super shots? And I think we can probably put that one to bed, can't we? Today? Is that today's the uh, day? Uh... Yeah, I think we we did it months About ago. Three, three round three episodes ago. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, now now we understand. Now next up is something a little bit different for us, and it's I'm calling it the dead rubber effect. And I mean, you took the words out of my mouth off the top of the pod, Aaron. Anyone who tipped Collingwood to knock off the West Coast Fever in the last game of the season, um, and probably to a lesser extent the Giants to beat the Vixens, as we just talk about really is lying because no one thought that was going to happen. I think we expected Collingwood to show a bit. We expected them to turn up and, and have an emotional response, but not to beat a team that's going in to play finals and that had the double chance on on the line. But that is exactly what happened. And it got me thinking about this idea of a dead rubber, which we obviously hear about in other sports. I mean, tennis in, in particular, where you have team events. Obviously, that's where, you know, whether the result ultimately on paper doesn't matter. Um, so over time, I guess I'm asking how often do teams in the last round when they're not going to play finals, okay? We already know that from a mathematical point of view. How often do they knock off more fancied opponents that they probably shouldn't beat? And then, I mean, how often is it the side that's holding up the ladder, which is Collingwood in this instance? Mm. So... First step here was actually defining, um, you know, what constituted this dead okay. rubber match. Okay. And yep. what I did here was uh, looked at the final round of the season. Um, ca so calculated the ladder up to the final, before the final round of the season. Yep. And looked for matchups between teams where one team was going to make the finals no matter what. Yep. And the other team was not going to make the finals, no matter the result of the match. And so this ignores implications of, you know, the fever on the weekend winning and jumping up to second or anything. Okay. It's simply like, you know, if one team is going to make the finals and the other wasn't going to make it, then we're calling it this notion of a dead rubber. Pretty good base. And yeah. Yeah. So I investigated this over the super netball years from 2017 up to now, which mm -hmm. Also meant taking into account the bonus point rule ah. over the 2018 and 2019 season, which added an additional nightmare layer to this analysis. <laughs> I hadn't considered um, that. Okay. Yeah, it's really just considering like uh, the the ladder scoring and how close you need to be, I guess, to the top four to be able to make the finals. That it, sounds it's like different a across lot years. of maths, Aaron. Yeah, this was about 80% of my work on the podcast this week, just this this topic. Uh, anyway, so across these years, we had uh, in the last round of the season, nine matches that we defined of these dead rubbers. Now, two of these came on the weekend in the Magpies versus oh. Fever and the Vixens versus Giants. You can, you can think about those examples from the weekend. Uh, and of these nine matches, four involved the team on the bottom of the ladder. So that links in with your question about mm -hmm. the Magpies. Mm -hmm. Uh, across these nine matches, only three times has the team that wasn't going to make finals been the winner. And we saw two of these three matches on the weekend with the Giants beating the Vixens hmm. and the Magpies beating the Fever. Huh, there you go. The so other example, okay. yeah, like 33% um, of the matches, somewhat rare, but, you know, uh, the majority of those matches came on the the just over the weekend. Yeah. 
the other was the seventh place Thunderbirds beating the third place Fever in the final round of 2020 by one goal. So oh. somewhat oh. recently. Mm. Um, some other notable results here, though. Um, in 2019, the bottom of the ladder Firebirds almost beat the second place Swifts, losing only by one goal. And similarly, the bottom of the ladder Thunderbirds in 2017 almost beat the fourth place Magpies in the final round, losing by only two goals. So there's been some close matches in these dead rubbers. But on the other end of the spectrum, there has also been some not so close matches. Uh, In 2019, the seventh place Thunderbirds were handed a 21 goal loss by the top place Lightning. And in 2017, uh, the seventh place Fever were handed a 26 goal loss Ooh. by the top place Vixens. So Ouch. it can go either way. Last season tune up heading into finals is always nice for the the coach on the winning side of that. But I imagine as the uh, when you're on the losing side of that, it makes the preseason pretty pretty long. Knowing that was the last effort that you put out there. Oh, well, I'm glad that's one that that does generally you know align the real and the feel. Now, right, our next one is what I'm calling Wilson. Do you get that reference? Yeah, and oh. I'm glad you kind of did. I'm glad you did the voice or like you put the emphasis on that because. Did it help? <laughs> I think you put all your effort into segment naming to this one this week, right? <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a castaway reference, Tom Hanks, if anyone's, yeah. uh, if anyone's missing that. I think everyone gets that one now. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Um, in my talking points column for Fox Netball this week, I, as you know, I said Jamaican Latanya Wilson played arguably the best match of her Super Netball career against the Swifts at the weekend. She donned all three defensive bibs at different times and she finished with 10 gains and just seven penalties. She had four intercepts, 14 deflections off the back of our conversation last week about deflections and a rebound and not once, but twice she pulled off that spectacular sort of double defense and block move in concert with Shamira Sterling. And she played, we saw Sterling a goal defense during the super shot period in the first half who, and that obviously pushed Wilson to keep up. So firstly, is this her best of our favorite metric, the PG rating um and her best game more generally well um let's start with the net points even though this is our slightly flawed but perhaps best evaluation of overall performance uh this is the highest in wilson's career and only the second time she's surpassed 100 so 104.5 net points she had in a 2022 round 10 matchup with the firebirds Mm -hmm. But she beat this on the weekend with 110.5 against Huge. the Swifts. Uh, if we move into more specific statistics, the 10 gains she had is her most in her Super Netball career, yep. beating her previous record of eight from another game against the oh, Swifts. Interesting, against the yep. Swifts again. Another bunny mm-hmm. for Wilson. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And. The 14 deflections is obviously her most within a Super Netball game, which beat her previous record of 11 that she has achieved a couple of times in 2022. Mm-hmm. And lastly, onto our summary metric, that penalties to gain ratio. Yeah. Uh, I would say, again, this is her best all-time in Super Netball because it's the only time she has got more gains than penalties in a match. Oh, it's the first time she's been in so, the positive of that. Right. Hmm. Yes. So a couple of times across this year, you have asked me about 
is this a player's best game? And it's been difficult because they do their best work in one area, but yeah. maybe not their best in another. Yeah. I would argue that in the key defensive metrics, this is Latanya Wilson's best game across all of them, right? So there's no real debate as to whether right. this is her best super netball game. Right. It, it just was. Because that is definitely the very strong feeling I had sitting down riding at about 11 o'clock on Sunday night. So I'm glad that I got that right because I don't have your brain at that time, unfortunately. Um, now, what about her? No, you can't You can't borrow it then. I can't. Um, what about her playing across the three positions? That's something that I've personally found super interesting and, and wondered how often – yeah, do we see that? And what part of the court do we normally see it in? Yeah, uh, it's interesting with respect to the part of the court. It is relatively spread, but you don't see players playing across all three kind of you know, mid-defensive of and attacking. Of course. Um, but it, it, when we look at this, there are some examples of defenders doing this, some examples of uh, mid-quarters doing this, and examples of attackers doing this. Uh, and... We've seen this occur with 80 players or 80 times across the ANZ Championship and Super Netball years. It's happened four times this year. Steph Wood is someone who's done it twice in mm-hmm. a couple of games, playing goal shooter, goal attack, and wing attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie Turner, oh, it looks like she played a game where she did wing defense, goal defense, and goalkeeper. The same as what Latanya Wilson did on the weekend. Yep. Uh, I thought it was interesting to look at which players have done this the most. And equal second on this list is Steph Wood, who played those uh, aforementioned three attacking positions on five occasions. Mm -hmm. And Georgie Horges is Uh, another person who's done this on five occasions, same positions as what Steph Wood's doing. Uh, But first on this list is a mid-quarter, and that's Paige Hadley, who has played Hmm. wing attack, center, and wing defense in the same game six times. Huh. I, yeah, I, a few of those I'd sort of like mentally sort of thought, oh, yeah, they'll probably be on the list, they'll probably be on the list. But Paige Hadley certainly wasn't one. And I, I guess we forget that, yeah, she's capable across all of those positions. So, yeah, interesting. Looking to buy property in the near future and overwhelmed with all the paperwork you just know is coming your way? The endless electronic forms where it feels like you're filling out the same thing over and over. Well, with All-in-One Property, you can forget the stress and lose the hassle. That's because All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider, helping buyers with all their conveyancing, finance, insurance, and even property law issues that come along with buying a property, whether it's your first or fifth property. Let someone else handle all the tricky stuff. With All-in-One Property, you'll have one point of contact instead of heaps of strangers asking you for information, someone who knows and understands your purchase. Dedicated to providing individualised support, All-in-One Property can help with every step of the process or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03 to discover how you can benefit from, our, from the, property streamline, the streamlined property transfer process. It's now time, that time for Fox Answers the Fans. Listener Melody sent this question via Instagram, Aaron, and she asks, last episode you talked about the amazing form of Helen Housby, but this round that form came to a screaming halt. After all those 100-plus net point games, she had just 16.4 in her 51 minutes on court. Is this the worst week-to-week Nissan net point drop-off that we've seen? Great question, I thought. 
Yeah, I like this question. It's a similar vein to like the scoring stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the the drop off between performances. And so Helen Housby's drop of 103 net points uh, over these last couple of games Mm -hmm. actually only sits number 10 all time for the decrease from one performance to the next. So it's it's up the top of the list when you consider how many players and rounds there's been with net points. It's Mm. it's up there. Uh, but the ones at the top of this list typically suffer from uh, having such an extreme performance yeah, being right. followed by a less than average performance. So number one on this list is Sasha Glasgow from this year, where she scored that 165 points in mm-hmm. that huge round 10 score from the Fever. But then the next week she followed it up with uh, only 14 net points, which is a drop of 151. So an extra you know, 48 compared to what happened to Housby. You live by uh, the super shot. Unfortunately, you die by the super shot, Aaron, number... do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You you may maybe have crowed too soon there because oh, number two stuff. and number three <laughs> on this list is a defender being Emily Mannix. Uh, okay. But we know that the net point system is maybe a little bit unfair to defenders. And in these instances, Emily Mannix may have also played less time on court Okay, uh, in her good versus bad games. But in 2020, she had had a game of 136 net points and followed that the next week with a 13 net point game, which is a drop of 123. And then she's also number three on this list where she had a 120.5 net point game followed by a three net point game, which is a drop of 117.5 so there's definitely some players here maybe falling victim to their own brilliance but also the Mm. system in the way that net points are scored um but i thought just for fun we could take a look at the reverse of this Mm -hmm. right because there are probably some examples of big jumps from one week to the other as well yep and the biggest increase from one week to the next was from tipper duan who went from a negative nine net points to 142.5 the following week. Oof. Maybe a bit of reliance on the super shot there, Aaron. Maybe. Uh, but that was a jump of 151.5, which yep. is pretty big. Yep. Uh, but perhaps my favorite here is the second largest increase, and that's Steph Wood going from a negative 40 net points, which is pretty devastating, yep. to 92 the following Oof. week, which is a jump of 132, but from a big negative to a big, big positive. positive. So, yeah, it can happen the other way too. I really appreciate the positive ones too because it's very easy to say, oh, this player sort of did the wrong thing. And I guess Helen Housby probably suffers from the consistency effect as well because last week wasn't one out of the box for her, was it? It was the continuation of a really strong vein of form for her. But um, please keep your Fox Answers the Fans questions coming uh, using a hashtag real V feel on your favorite social media platform and make sure you keep an eye on our social medias to find out when we're going to have that bonus episode that I keep promising. Now we're mindful. The episodes have started getting a little bit long of late. So we're going to bypass Della bluntly this week, but move straight to checking out how Aaron's shot in the dark went for this round. Obviously the last round of the home and away season. Now you made a, bunch of predictions Aaron which people can catch up on on Twitter mainly because I've listed them all there for everyone you made seven predictions so picked out you know some scoring records for the fever from Giants Shamira Sterling and you were pretty much on the money but you got six out of seven 
which is a very strong pass from Professor Delahunty. Well done. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, you can calculate the percentage and give me uh, <laughs> a, a letter grade if you like. But I know that might be difficult That's for you. That's beyond me. Uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm honestly pretty happy with this. Mm-hmm. Pleasantly surprised how well it worked out. Yep. Um, more so because I thought the fever uh, getting that shooting percentage was probably one of the locks. And so, okay. uh, you know, to miss out on that, it would have been, I, I, if you had told me that the other six worked out, I would have been like, I'm getting 100% on this one. <laughs> but it, it can't always be that way. I, I really en- I really enjoy being able to sort of keep an eye on them as the, um, as the round unfolded too. So we might have to revisit that perhaps for the grand final, maybe, if you don't mm, mind. Maybe. And yeah. what about for this round? Obviously, the first round of the finals, we've got the Swifts playing the Thunderbirds and then the Fever playing the Vixens this weekend. What have you got for me? Yeah, so you think... Round one of the Super Netball Finals, 1v2, 3v4, you'll typically have some close matches. Yep, uh, and it hasn't necessarily been the case in recent years if you look at the average margin across these two games from round one of the finals. In 2022, it was an eight-goal margin on average. 2021 was four-and-a-half goals. 2020 was ten-and-a-half goals. And 2019 was 11-and-a-half goals on average. Okay. So across the last four or so years um haven't necessarily been that close Mm. uh you need to go back to 2018 where it was three and a half goals average margin and 2017 where it was a one goal on average margin to see you know both games at least having a close margin Mm -hmm. so looking at the matchups this week um and you know what's been happening and the teams that are playing each other i think we should return to that close games um margins of the 2017 and 2018 super netball finals uh, and, you know, that average margin, I think, will be less than that four goals that we haven't seen happen in a good four or so years. So that's the prediction this week. Some close games, average margin, less than four goals. Uh, well, I have to say my feel would very much be on that. I think especially that first game in Sydney, I just, I have, I have the feeling in my netball waters that it's going to be one of those really tightly contested, every moment counts, maybe not many gains, maybe not many intercepts. And when they do come, them being really game defining. And I certainly hope it is, it is that, and that we get a really close game. Fever Vixens, we're either going to get, I think, one of those stand up games or the Fever are going to have brought their mouth guards to training this week after the way that they played last week and the way that Dan Ryan was responding to some of the things that were happening on court as well. So it's we, I think we could see a very, very fired up Fever. Um, and as I mentioned to you before we were recording, I think some of the Melbourne Vixens are looking very tired. It's been a, a long season, a long international season in particular for a lot of their players. But... Thank you so much. We've got that one in the book. That's a wrap for our latest episode, the last of the home and away season. But of course, we will be back to you for the finals as well. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our hashtag is always a handle, sorry, is always real V feel. And the hashtag on those for Fox Answers the Fans or any feedback, queries, questions, compliments, brickbats, whatever they are, put them on hashtag RealVFeel. This podcast wouldn't be possible without All in One Property, which offers a suite of property services under one roof, covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law. All in One Property streamlines the process, helping buyers across access all the services they need in one place. 
visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.